The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki Season 2. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. You are listening to Absent Minded. Brought to you by Habs Hello Eyes and welcome to Absent Minded. This is Patrick Bexel. I'm here and joined by a normal crew, more or less. It's... Uh, Matt Drake being the expert today. How does that feel, Matt? Oh, it, it feels great, but I, I feel like I'm always the expert, you know? It, whether or not you guys are willing to acknowledge it is, is more the question. Right? I mean, but you I, might be I, the I expert am. on Joshua Roy, who we're going to talk about today. But the fugitive next to us or, or, you know, near us in orbit is actually, you know, he's an expert at, at running away. And that's uh, Anton Rosegård, who is in another country or between two countries, are you on the border? Can you give us a status update directly? Yeah, I can give you a status update. I, I can just tell all our listeners in advance that if you hear a lot of noise in the background, it's because I'm in a hostel in Bucharest, Romania right now. And I haven't been able to find a better spot for the Wi-Fi than down in the main hall. So I'm recording from there. Uh, but yeah, I'm in Romania at the present. We'll be there for 24 more hours before going to Greece. Hostel in Romania is, is code for a holding cell at Interpol somewhere in Europe, right? Like <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we know uh, we know you did yeah, something. Was, Where are the bodies? Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna it's say either to you, that like, or, for, or it is a like you know some place where you can go and pay for certain services. Yeah, exactly. I was gonna tell like for our <laughs> listeners, Matt has this um, this story now that he's been working on. Well, basically, just telling everyone that I'm on the run from Interpol, and that's why I'm moving around so much. Um, and I, I will neither confirm nor deny that story. Uh, we're we're here though not to talk about uh, Andrew's uh, or Anton's exploits all over the world. It will be a fantastic uh, series. We might do that for next summer, Anton. Uh, in the in the dog days of summer. Yeah, that sounds great. I can tell you about all the countries I've visited, and it can be a lot of episodes. Indeed, indeed. Uh, we're looking forward to have you on from Greece as well because. Uh, you know, I'm having this big map where we just put in placements from where we have recorded at different uh, days of this podcast. Well, back to what is going on, though. It's a top 25 under 25. We're at number seven. It's uh, it's a kid named Roy, and it's not a goalie, Matt. No, it's not. Well, look, just to take it way man joshua i've i've it's been a long time since i had this kind of confidence in a prospect certainly been a long time since i had this kind of confidence in a prospect that was drafted in the fifth round i mean this kid went from precisely a point per game in his draft season to his draft plus one after he gets selected in the fifth round puts up 119 points in 66 games goes 23 points in 11 games over two points per game in the playoffs uh for the phoenix de chevrook Earns himself a spot on Team Canada, ends up playing first line minutes for Team Canada. They did move him around in that lineup, but in a lot of those games, he was playing the most minutes out of any of the forwards on the team. He made himself undeniable, not only to uh, the to the national team for the World Juniors, but also as a prospect in the Montreal Canadian system. 
the testament to that is just the fact that he went from 22nd to number seven on our list. I personally had him at number five after watching almost all of his games this season uh, or this past season. I, I knew after watching those games, I had to, you know, feng shui him into my top five somehow. I wasn't sure who I was going to kick out of there because there's a few people that I kind of wanted to be rounding out my top five. I had him rounding it out because everything I saw this season was was fantastic. His shot is incredible. He has a really quick deceptive release. He doesn't get, he doesn't have elite velocity on it. Like, uh, you know, Cole Caulfield style velocity, but it's good velocity and it's very, very, very accurate. So a quick flick of the wrist doesn't need a whole lot of space and he can put it anywhere he wants. He can beat goaltenders from all over the place. Power play, incredibly versatile. He can play the point. He can play net front. He can play the half wall anywhere you want to put him. He can play it because he also uses the threat of that shot constantly to kind of manipulate defenders, move them around, change those shooting lanes and thereby changing passing lanes where he can fire crisp passes to any of his teammates in the zone as well. So as evidenced by the fact that he had 68 assists to his 51 goals during the course of the season. Um, And the big thing that has me believing in him is the number one thing he needs to work on is his skating, right? A lot of people like to say he's slow, he's slow, he's slow. I find that to be, ironically, a lazy analysis of his game because he's not slow. David St. Louis, our former colleague from Habs in the Prize, put it best in his video that he made about Roy, which is on YouTube. You can go and take a look at it. It's uh, Let's Watch Joshua Roy. His posture is what holds him back, not his top speed. His top speed isn't great, but he's kind of hunched over, lacks a little bit of ankle flexion, so he's not as dynamic as a, of a skater as you'd like to be. Uh, but he's getting better. And the number one thing that he improved throughout the course of the season was actually his conditioning. He went from looking winded at the end of every single shift to by the end of shifts, like at the end of the season and in the playoffs, at the end of his shifts, he's legging out icings all of a sudden. You you didn't see him doing that at the beginning of the year. So he really put his work ethic into getting better specifically on the conditioning side. And he knows that the next thing is his skating. So given the improvements that he's made since being drafted, I think that there's a better chance than we've ever seen with any prospect of him making the adjustments that he needs to make to get to that next level. So I I got supreme faith in this kid, his work ethic, the fact that he's just, uh, he's incredibly humble, wants to get better, wants to improve his 200 foot game, specifically mentioned that he wants to improve his 200 foot game and then goes out with team Canada at the world juniors wins a gold medal in a checking role, a a type of role playing more defensive hockey that he never had to play in the QMJHL and does it on the biggest possible stage, winning a gold medal and clearly being a favorite player of coach Dave Cameron and probably earning himself an even bigger role at the next tournament this winter. So just the overall progression of this kid is, is incredible. I had him at number five. I cannot wait to see this kid break in uh, to the Montreal Canadiens. I think he's going to get maybe a nine-game tryout this year. We probably won't see him as a full-time NHLer this season. I think he is going back to Sherbrooke uh, to have one more season there and probably even be the captain of that team. But, man, everything about this kid just screams potential top six scoring winger, and I think he's going to get there. Interesting. Um, just to, 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 to get a feeling for this, because we're not going to get to say much after we, we continue with having our expert talk all the time. Um, he has one of the tightest uh, groupings in, uh, in the top 25, under 25. I think it's seven. Uh, Jan Mishak has six, and the rest of them are more or less. Yeah, the rest of them are, except for Petre Nurmi, and well, even Arvid Henriksson had bigger, uh, but the rest of them are are um, on top, uh, are, are higher up in the rankings, where there obviously is 
uh, a very little range between the top, let's say, five. So, so there is some sort of, you know, everyone, including the, the uh, community, is very high on Yoshiroa. And, and yeah, everyone except for Jared, right? Who uh, yeah. apparently had him 12th. And yeah, that's but... uh, what we're going to, you know, we're going to hold this against him for the rest of his career at Half Sciences on the Prize. It's either that or holding number five against Matt. Well, I actually, uh, for, for once, I actually tend to uh, agree with Matt. Uh, you know, he's been doing a very nice job of uh, hyping up. He said that it was a long time since he believed this much in a fifth round prospect. And I'm thinking that the last time he believed this much in a prospect that was drafted in the fifth round, I think it must have been Hayden Hockey. Um, if I remember correctly. Uh, <laughs> no, but at this point, like Joshua Roy, we have to remember as well, this is the guy who was drafted first overall in the, uh, you know, in the, what is it, QMJHL. Uh, yeah. They have a special draft there, right? So he was drafted by, you know, Matt's new home team, St. John's Sea Dogs, and it didn't really work out that well in the first year. But if we look at St. John's team that time as well we like we kind of heard that from Joshua as well when he uh when he um was interviewed like post-draft I think it was and he was talking about the fact that um it was uh difficult for him to play on that team and it didn't really it didn't really work out for him the way that he would have liked so it was you know it was just a blessing in disguise that he was traded to Sherbrooke and um once he got there, he just all of a sudden you just saw the kind of guy that St. John probably uh, thought they drafted at first overall, right? Um, and he's just been, you know, every little check mark that you would like to have from a prospect, especially one that's drafted that late, he's just like overwhelmed everyone. Like, um, according to me, like, I mean, he has just outperformed every expectation. Of what you can believe from a guy who was drafted, you know, close to what is it, 150 or something? Um, no, Joshua Roy has done amazingly well in a year, and it will be so fascinating to continue to follow him because when you just rank upside in a prospect, there are few in the Habs organization who has as high an upside as uh, Joshua Roy at present. Yeah. And, you know, you, you brought up the St. John issue. I mean, he admitted himself that like he was not in shape um, when he was in St. John. I, I think, and again, some, some of this is conjecture. I'm, I'm not entirely sure if any of this is true, but I've heard that, you know, he was homesick. He didn't really like it here. Right. I live right outside of St. John now. I love it here, but I can understand, you know, how a young You're kid like a different that, age as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm considerably <laughs> older than, than he was when he came here. Um, I can understand how a kid would, would maybe get homesick and kind of want to be a little bit closer to home. And then he got that opportunity uh, going back to Sherbrooke. I mean, of course, he's from Bose, so he's it's not too far from Sherbrooke. He can go home. Uh, he can see his family. It's it, it gave him an opportunity and then he rededicated himself and started really focusing on getting in shape. Like I said, he did an interview with TSN before the World Juniors and was talking about how, you know, he had spoken into uh the coaches the the, the direction at, in montreal and said you know what do i need to do uh to get myself ready for that nhl role and they specifically told him well you're conditioning and uh 200 foot game so this kid just put in the work his 200 foot game is eons better than what you would expect from a fifth round pick and again the testament to that is the fact that dave cameron put him in such an important role for team canada at the world juniors and his conditioning again like i, I can't stress enough you would see at the beginning of the season, end of almost every shift, he would go to the bench, 
and just punch himself over. And you could see like he's sucking wind. His shoulders are going up and down like hard. But by the end of the year and in the playoffs, he looked like a completely different player. So this kid was in the gym. He was doing his cardio. And I, I like the proofs in the pudding, man. And anybody who's willing to put in that kind of work, right, to make that kind of improvement on one small thing, I believe in them to be able to make those same improvements on other things. So right now, the number one thing holding him back is his skating mechanics. Now, if you look at uh, Mitch Brown's tracking on CHL players, his transition numbers are not good for Joshua Hoyle. That's the one thing that realistically, if he improves that, he could get to that next level. He could be that top six forward that I believe he can be. And a lot of it's going to come down to simple skating mechanics. Now, if somebody is able to make that much improvement in terms of their conditioning, what's to say they can't make those same that or that same level of improvement when it comes to their skating mechanics? I mean, there's a lot of people who say that, you know, you elite skating can't possibly be taught like that's so much harder to get better at that as you get older i don't believe that i believe that if somebody is dedicated enough and they're working with the right people like adam nicholas in montreal they're going to be able to make some improvements how much of an improvement is it going to be exponential is he going to get to you know paul byron levels of speed probably not is he going to get to Connor mcdavid levels of elusivity probably not but if he can make himself better at those things then he's going to get to that next level because the other tools that he has, the shot, the passing, the innate ability to manipulate defenders around and create more lanes for himself to set up his teammates, those things aren't going anywhere. And if he can make small improvements throughout the course of the next year or two, I, I, I have supreme confidence in this kid to make it and then stick on that top line. I tweeted out before the World Juniors. I said, I, I put out a poll and I was like over under 10 points for Joshua Hawaii during the World Juniors. And all I did was ask, you know, over, under, that's it. I didn't say what I thought. I just asked people to vote on a poll and say whether they thought he was going to go over and under. And people were slamming me and saying, you know, this kid's barely going to play. He's not going to get on the power play, blah, 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 blah. Now he didn't hit the 10 points. He only got eight and seven games, nothing to sneeze at, but he was on the top line to start the tournament. They move him down to quote unquote, the third line, and he's still playing the most minutes out of any forward. So it's the quote unquote third line, because realistically, I mean, in terms of ice time, it was your top line, right? He was one of the most used forwards in that tournament, a very big tournament where Canada won the gold medal. I don't think that you can understate how much confidence this kid is able to win from his coaching staff. Why is that? It's because of his work ethic. It's because of his willingness to take on roles that whatever it is that you give him you can throw anything at him. He's going to take it and he's going to do his absolute best to try and, uh, you know, achieve something with it. And he did that at the world juniors. He did that in the QMJHL. Just wait. When, when this kid gets a shot, he's going to do it in the NHL as well. It's also so interesting when you think about it, because like being that kind of talent that Joshua Roy obviously was to be selected first of all in the CHL, the QMJHL draft, And then you hit kind of a, a curveball by, you know, not being a top pick in the draft, by being a fifth round pick instead. And just showing the willingness to adapt and actually realize that you have to improve a few things about your game, that you're not all of a sudden just automatically better because you were selected first of all in the CHL draft. Uh, but just continuing on improving, it just shows something about the mental aspect of, of, you know, him as a player. And if you compare that, like, obviously, it's too early to make any comparison to to someone like Shane Wright, who obviously fell to fourth now. But 
he's in a similar position now that Joshua Roy was in a year ago, right? So basically, we're, it's going to be, it's just going to be very interesting to see what Shane writes can do if he can respond in a similar way uh, that Joshua Roy has done, because it all comes down to that. Like like Martin, Martin San Luis said during the draft, right? Uh, this is just the beginning. When you're drafted, it doesn't matter if you're selected first or 250th overall. It's just the beginning for your NHL career. And if you want to be an NHL player, you need to take constructive criticism the right way. And Joshua Roy showed this year that he certainly has that ability of taking the criticism the right way and not looking at it as a knack on your ability or something, but actually as something that you can improve upon to be even better. And as you said, like the way he finished out the year with, uh, you know, the playoffs and then going to the World Junior Championships and just continuing on improving, it's just going to be super exciting to see what he can do if he, you know, if he gets an NHL shot just for nine games or something, or, you know, if they, um, I don't know, is, is he eligible for Laval this year? No. Uh, no so he's, exactly. yeah, he's 19 um, yeah. because of the agreement with the CHL. He either, either he makes the Habs, uh, which again, I, I mean, I've, I've said this before, I'll say it again. I don't think the Habs is the best place for him this year. They're, they're not going to be good. And I think that would maybe hurt his development to be, you know, pushed up in the lineup on a team that's probably not making the playoffs and that many people are predicting are going to be in the basement of the Eastern Conference. Didn't you um, read yesterday? The, the, didn't you read yesterday? They're supposed to make the playoffs this year, apparently. Joel, Joel Edmondson seems to think so. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'd send him back. Uh, I'd love to see him in Laval. Honestly, if if the agreement wasn't in place between the CHL and the NHL for that, I, I, I would push for it. I understand why they have that because, you know, they feel like if you take 19-year-olds out of the CHL and start letting them go to the AHL, it's going to kneecap a lot of those teams. They want to have that talent around. But I think, you know, it's it's not a problem that he's going back to Sherbrooke. Uh, he is expected to be named captain there this season, potentially. I haven't seen any news about that yet, but um, the journalists that I follow in Sherbrooke have, have mentioned, like, they are expecting him to be, to be given that honor for the Phoenix and he's going to get a chance to lead a team that's probably going to have quite a few rookies on it. So this will be a really good opportunity for him. Be a leader, um, not necessarily going to have the same support that everybody was saying he was benefiting from last year. And we get to see, you know, can you replicate and can you build on, on what you did last year? I think he can. We've been looking back and, and we're starting to look forward. And, and the question is really, what can we sort of expect and, and what should be realistic expectations on Joshua th this upcoming season? Is it the nine games in the NHL and maybe draw a conclusion from that? Is it, uh, and, and what can we expect in the queue from him? I advocate for the nine games. I think that they need to give him that taste. I think they've mentioned ad nauseum at this point that they want to take development more seriously, that they really want to focus on that development. I think the best way to do that is when you have players who you, when you have that opportunity to give them that little taste, give it to them, give them real game opportunity in the NHL before you send them back down to junior uh, or before you send them to the AHL as well. So I think there's a number of players and I think he fits within those number of players uh, who should get a shot at a few games. I, again, I would not hold him longer than the nine games. I would not burn a year of his ELC this year unless he shows up and, you know, scores 10 goals in those nine games. It might be tough to send him back, but the reality is you just want to give him that taste, give him an opportunity, see where he's at, then send him back uh, and let him have that season in Sherbrooke. And as for what to expect in Sherbrooke, 
I think he's going to put up similar numbers. I don't think he's going to blow it out of the water and put up 150 points. If that's what people are looking for, I, I think you need to consider that, that Sherbrooke is in a bit of a transition year. They've lost some pretty key players. Uh, he's probably going to be playing very big minutes for that team, though. So I could see him getting back at least to the same level of production, uh, if not eclipsing that. So I'm looking for something over 120 points uh, from him throughout the course of the season. Um, beyond that, I'm looking for him to take on another significant role with Team Canada at the World Juniors. I think that'll be very telling uh, because he clearly earned it in the August edition of the tournament. I don't see a universe where he doesn't make that team again uh, in December. And I don't see a universe where he isn't one of the top forwards on that team. Uh, I think he'll even take a step forward. So realistically, you know, if he plays another seven games at the World Juniors, we might see him eclipse that 10-point mark that I talked about uh, before, right? I, again, have a lot of faith in this kid and I'm, I'm excited to see what he does. Well, it's easy to to uh, eclipse that with Russia being out of the World Juniors. So, nah. Um, and Belarus, but, don't forget Belarus. Yeah, but um, it's it's interesting that you say, and we we have this on uh, with Dylan Waugh, uh when we spoke about Prediction that you know it's a second year or or after maybe a breakthrough year. And you might expect a little bit of regression, working on some other things and get in, into, you know, a different role and and uh, taking on different responsibilities and maybe polishing your game a little bit more because you can work on it in the second year where you have maybe a little bit less to prove. Yeah, and we also saw that with Cole Caulfield, right? When he thought that he was ready for the NHL and he was sent back to Wisconsin for another year. And I think that really benefited him. He he became, like, I remember reading uh, David St. Louis um, uh, catching the tor torch for the first year. And he was kind of, I mean, he wasn't hesitant about Caulfield because you always knew what he could do in a goal-scoring way. But just of his overall game, it was kind of lacking in certain aspects. Uh, his 200-foot game wasn't really up to par the way, the way that it could be. And then he was sent back and he seemed a bit annoyed about that at first uh, from just what you heard of it. And then he just took on this lead role for his sophomore year with Wisconsin and, and was awarded the Hobie Baker Award. And I don't think that um, Cole Caulfield would, um, as it looks now, that he would have it any other way. I think it was really beneficial, especially when you've already shown everything you can show in the league. And then you can all of a sudden just work on these, as you say, Patrick, uh, all these small things in your game. I think that's really beneficial, especially I was just looking at Roy, for example, he just turned 19 on August 6th. So like he's still super, super young. He was one of the youngest players drafted last year. So it, he was just like a month or so away from being eligible for this year's draft. And the fact that he like, can you just imagine if he was a month younger and he put up those kind of numbers that he did this year and he was eligible for the 2022 draft, where would he go? Probably top 10, right? And just the fact that he gets another year, like we know how it was with COVID and everything um, before that as well. So we have that excuse as well for like, even if the queue wasn't as effective as the OHL, just getting a full season, um, mixed in with you know possibly nine games of, of NHL action would probably be great because I think just if we take a comparison to Matthias Norlinder for example um, the way that he got six games in the NHL I think that has just made him realize how big of a step it is for this year 
And I think for everyone who gets that kind of opportunity, just play a few games of NHL action and you realize how big the step is to go from junior leagues or even the SHL to the NHL. I think that's great for a young prospect um, and then go back and just tear it up in the queue. Yeah, giving them giving them that taste, right? If you give them a taste of it, they're going to figure out like, you know, if it helps you like realize for yourself what things you need to improve upon, right? Even if it's not the full nine games, even if you give him six or seven, right? Like you said with Norlander, right? Gets his little taste of it and then he figures out, oh man, it is a big step. I need to fix X, Y, Z. And then you get to go back to the drawing board a little bit. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. And I, I, I love the fact that they've restocked that cupboard enough to the point in Montreal where we're not looking at young players and saying, this guy has to make the team this year. Right. We're looking at young players and saying, oh, it's no problem to send him back. Even Slavkovsky, we're looking at Slavkovsky right now and saying it'd be very easy to put him in Laval for the season. We'll give him a taste. We could put him down there. No problem. There's no pressure on them to come up in past years. Like when Galchenyuk got drafted, when Kakanyemi got drafted, there was pressure on those kids to immediately come in and start producing with the Montreal Canadiens. We don't have that now. So guys like Joshua, even though he had that eye-opening season, nobody's going, oh man, this kid's making the team this year. Even myself, I'm one of the highest on him. I had him in my top five, right? Even me, I'm saying the best, the best thing for him is give him the taste, send him back. So the nice thing is that, again, they've restocked that cupboard enough that we're not putting pressure on these kids to come in right away and start producing. We can, like they rather, can take their time with these players, let them develop, gradually introduce them to the NHL in a way that they can kind of self-realize what things do I need to get better at? uh, What things am I doing really well? And then again, go back to that drawing board, come back better, and then come back ready to go. I, I think especially for a player like Joshua Webb, who's shown the ability to make adjustments, who's shown the ability to get better at things. Um, for example, playmaking, right? I think that's one thing we haven't talked about yet. When he was in his first, uh, his first season, uh, his, or his draft season, right? He had eight assists with St. John. He had five with Sherbrooke. So we're talking about 13 assists against 22 goals, right? He went 68 assists against 51 goals the very next year. So when you read draft reports about him, a lot of the things that you were reading was, well, he's a shooter. Yeah, he likes to shoot. He uses his teammates to create opportunities for himself. That was the book on him. Then he goes out, puts up 68 assists in 66 games. So over an assist per game pace throughout the course of a season. So you think he took that to heart? You think that he didn't go, well, you know what? I need to develop that aspect of my game because I can't just be shooting all the time. I need to be able to set up my teammates as well. He went and did that. So when you have a player with that work ethic, that desire to get better, and then you have a situation in Montreal where they don't need him to come in and produce right away, they can take their time with him. They can send him back. He can get even better than he already is. And then, you know, who knows what the future holds. That's why I love the trades for uh, Yevgeny Dadonov and Sean Monaghan because it just it stocks your cupboard, as you say, with uh, you know forwards who have NHL experience and also have something to prove. Right? They're on expiring deals, so they are really they're going into contract seasons. If they do really well, they're going to be you know traded at the deadline and and get a good deal somewhere else. 
And it, you know, just creates the situation where guys like Philip Mishar, Uri Slavkovsky, Joshua Rua, Sean Farrell, all these guys can just like develop in their own time. And once the Habs get back on track, once we have established that Cole Caulfield is someone who can get you 30 goals a year, once you know that Nick Suzuki is a point per game player, and, um, you know, once you know that Caden Primo is someone who can be at least an A1B goalie, um, then all of a sudden, and, and a few of the de- defensemen have, have, you know, become truly like a legitimate NHL defenseman, then you can start like worrying about like who's going to play with who and who is more suitable for a checking role as, uh, as, um, you know, opposed to a scoring role. Uh, But at this point, the Habs are, whatever Joe, Joe Edmondson says, um, the Habs are not ready for a playoff berth. So it would just be perfect to, just go into a season and try to, uh, you know, get the old guys showing what they have and and try to develop a few of the guys like Jordan Harris, uh, Justin Barron, uh, Suzuki and Caulfield, obviously, and and let the guys who are just 19, 20-year-olds marinate in either Laval or the junior teams. Bingo. Takes the pressure off the kids. You get to just, you know, it, it'd be cool, though. It, it I, Like, I'll say this for Joel Edmondson. It would be pretty goddamn cool if they somehow pulled off a, a complete shocker and ended up like winning their division and making the playoffs and going on a, a Cinderella run again. But um, how are we then going to get both Mitchkov and Bedard? Like that would be uh, stupid. We'll just knock out, you know, everyone earlier. Florida, fl- 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 we'll, we'll just Florida wait for will Florida to finish dead last. If Florida finishes last, then we have, we have their pick. Right. So we'll, we'll be able to get Bedard there. So that's the dream. And then, right, and then obviously, the you know, Colorado implodes completely and we'll get them as well. Bingo. So we're, we're all on the same page then. We either got the dream scenario or we got, you know, the real reality, which is that we're probably not making the playoffs and we're getting a lottery pick again. But you know what? Getting a lottery pick is not a bad thing. You know, like we said, the cupboard's restocked. We got veterans that can handle the minutes. We don't need to bring up any of the youth. Just take your time. Everybody gets to take their time. And, you know, my, my final thought for anybody would be if you get a chance to watch a Sherbrooke Phoenix game this year, do it. I, I'm telling you, this kid's something. There's something there. And when he gets to Montreal, people are going to find out. You've been listening to the usual sp- suspects, Matt Drake, <laughs> the fugitive and Patrick Bexel. We'll be back with more for the top 25 under 25. Thank you guys for listening. And, uh, do enjoy a little bit of Joshua Roy highlights on Matt Drake's timeline. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.